It's episode 65 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, hey, friends, welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining me on this episode of the Keto for Women show. And today, it's time for another guest. And one of my friends will be joining me on the show here in just a little bit. But first, let's go over just a few things. Actually, what I want to share with you all is something that I have decided to try since recording this episode of the Keto for Women show. So Vanessa Spina is on the show. She just got done completing a carnivore experiment on herself, actually a few of them, which she's going to talk about with you all today. And that kind of partially inspired me to try carnivore as well. It was already something that I kind of had in the back of my mind, not something we've talked about here on Keto for Women all that much, just for a number of reasons, mainly because I don't feel like I have enough information to educate you all because I don't have it myself yet. So I think the first step in kind of getting ready for that is to try it myself. So to do an experiment on myself, which as you'll hear from Vanessa today, she is one of those biohackers and someone that likes to do all this stuff for herself to really decide if it works for her and if it's something that she wants to promote. And that's kind of the same boat that I'm in. I always feel that way too. First step is to always see how I do with it and then share my experience with you all and you can decide if it's something that you want to try once you hear you know, some of the background, some of maybe the results or symptoms or whatever it may be that others have had. And then you can decide if it's something you want to try. So I am officially embarking on one week of the carnivore diet as of the time that I am talking to you right now, which happens to be the Tuesday before this show airs. So if you're listening to this relatively close to when it airs, I'm probably still doing it, probably still eating all meat. (laughs) And hopefully I'm not feeling too bad. Hopefully I'm feeling great. We'll see. I'll definitely report back, of course. But just had my first meal that was breakfast of my carnivore diet, and it was three eggs, three slices of bacon, coffee with collagen, and that is it. And honestly, I feel really good. It's definitely a very easy change for me to make. I am one of those people who kind of always am craving protein, definitely do well on protein. I digest protein well, uh, feel really good afterwards. So this is probably going to be pretty easy for me. I know others don't feel that way. Even just some friends that I have, I was telling them this weekend that I was about to embark on this week and they just like turned up their nose because, you know, some people don't crave meat at all. And I think it has a lot to do with your genetics and your ancestry and and everything. So something, again, where I can't tell you that everyone's going to be good doing this or not good doing this, everyone should or shouldn't, but I can share my own personal story the way that Vanessa is doing with hers today, and you can decide if that's right for you. So the cool thing is I'm only doing this for a week, so I will be able to share next week on next week's podcast episode my experience, what I felt, what I ate, what I suggest doing, any tips and tricks I have, who it would be good for, who it wouldn't be good for, all of that will be coming up next week. So just be on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, I will be sharing some of the things that I'm eating, mainly probably on my stories. So if you're already seeing that, that's because that's where it is. And I started a little bit before this episode aired. And If not, go ahead and check out my Instagram and Facebook stories for everything that I'm eating on my carnivore diet. And of course, just regular Instagram will be showing that too. So that's the first thing. I'm very excited to share more with you next week and to see how this week goes and hopefully have some learning along the way. I'll, of course, also be kind of debriefing on some of the research that I have found out about the carnivore diet, the good, the bad, the ugly in that episode as well. So keep an eye out. 
The other thing that I wanted to mention before we get into this episode and our talk with Vanessa is this really awesome information that I have about one of our great Keto for Women sponsors, Tribali Foods. They have just announced a new product. Well, actually, two new products. They have gone into the slider category now, and they've made these little mini burger type things, except they're more sausage-like than actual burgers. They have a pork and sage sausage and a chicken and apple sausage. They look so, so good. You can get them on the website until supplies run out. So they are only selling them on the website right now until later on in the fall, early October. I believe they will be out in some select stores. But right now at tribalifoods.com, you can get your hands on these mini sliders. The pork and sage is super keto friendly. Let me actually just share the ingredients with you because I have it right in front of my face here. So the ingredients of the pork and sage sausage are pork seasoning, and the seasonings include sea salt, garlic, white pepper, fennel, thyme, nutmeg, olive oil, and sage. So good, right? Very keto friendly. So I encourage you to go try those along with the burgers that are already so amazing, very keto friendly as well, but so handy to have. And the same thing goes with these sliders, especially in the morning, especially if you have kids to feed or a husband or a wife to feed. So nice to have these to just take out a package, put them on the stove. And in a few minutes, you have a really good, awesome breakfast that will keep you satisfied for a really long time and your family satisfied for a really long time. So head to tribalifoods.com. And of course, you all, because you're so special and because Tribali Foods are the best, they are giving you 15% off your online order when you head there. So you can try these new sliders out, get yourself some burgers too, just stock up on everything and you get 15% off. So exciting. Can't wait to try these myself. These will be great for my next week on the carnivore diet. I will be stuffing my face with some mini sliders, no question. All right, let's move in to my chat with Vanessa Spina, one of my friends, one of the female leaders in the keto space and just someone that has such a good heart. And I'm so excited for you all to meet her if you haven't already, although you probably have because she has her own podcast called Fast Keto, but she's also the best-selling author of Keto Essentials. She's an avid and passionate international speaker about the ketogenic diet and the founder of Ketogenic Girl. She's a completely self-taught keto diet blogger and meal plan provider, learning everything through her dedication to this singular focus, which is getting people healthy with the ketogenic approach. All right, let's turn to my chat with Vanessa Spina. Hey, thanks for having me. So much fun already because we're like friends in real life. (laughs) We don't live anywhere near each other. So (laughs) So I don't know how that works, but it does. That may be changing soon, hopefully, but... Oh my gosh, fingers crossed. I'll have a lot more Sean in my life in the near future. Until then, we'll have to settle for KetoCon and meeting in islands in Spain. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that works for me. I'm cool with that. But you are another important gal in the keto space and have your own podcast and just tons of stuff going on over in the keto community. So why don't you tell anybody that doesn't know what's going on with you a little bit about yourself and how you got here and and what you like to do? Oh boy. I feel like so, so lucky because I get to just geek out every freaking day on my favorite topic in the world, which is ketosis. Yes. (laughs) And for ketosis nerds, ketosis geeks to the max. Like <laughs> I am like, this is all I want to do all day long. And it's all I do all day long. And people somehow enjoy that. So that's great that I can provide value with that because I'm just really sharing my nerdiness. But I started really blogging about what was my hobby. I think it was four years ago uh, in 2008. I started posting about like keto stuff that I was into and it just grew and grew and grew and took over my entire life. <laughs> in every possible way. And I've been running Ketogenic Girl, which is my meal plan program for three years. And I've had the meal plans out for about that long and the challenge. 
And I just love it. I, I love every day just getting to support people, cheer them on, and you know, help spread the word about real food lifestyle living and eating you know, whole foods. And it's awesome. So like all of us, I'm assuming you didn't just all of a sudden wake up one day and be like, huh, I'm going to start looking into keto. There was a process. There was probably your own health issues. There were your own things going on. So tell everyone about that. Yeah. I mean, to make a really long story short, it all started with gluten. I had quit sugar back when I was in university because I'd heard about Atkins. And then what I realized now is I kind of just swapped sugar for artificial sweeteners. And then I swapped artificial sweeteners for natural sweeteners. And that kind of stuff, at least I cut out the sugar all those years ago, but I went gluten-free after finding out that I had a major, major reactions to it and major inflammation in my colon, extremely painful inflammation. And it changed my life within just a few weeks of going off of gluten. All of my pain had subsided. I had throbbing pain in my hands every day that went away. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. There's got to be more to this. So I just kept digging and started like finding a bit of information. Actually, a lot of people find paleo first and then keto. I like skipped the whole paleo thing mm-hmm. and I found intermittent fasting. And then digging more from intermittent fasting, I found keto after that, just searching stuff online and you know, going on obscure forums like the nerd that I am. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been an amazing journey and amazing to be able to have found so many resources, you know, online. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. And I think that you would agree there are so many resources that we can turn to when we want to find out more about our bodies and what's going on in these like weird symptoms or reactions or whatever that we're having. But it also can get to a point where it's like, too much, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially I think you'll agree within the keto space, we're almost to a point now where there's too much information and it's getting really confusing. Yeah. I remember that woman when you and I were on the panel at KetoCon and she's like, what do I do with all the new information coming out every week? Like I have to listen to all the podcasts. You were just like, it's okay if you don't listen to them all, like (laughs) take a break and like do a podcast fast for a week or whatever. And yeah, I was like, why don't you listen to music? (laughs) That was my answer. But it's true. And that's what I did. Like I was in podcast overload. And then now I mainly listen to music because it's, I don't know, it gets to be too much. What's music? (laughs) What is that thing? Do we still have access to that? (laughs) My phone's like a podcast listening device basically now. Right, right. It's an Instagram and podcast. I forgot that music is possible. So I got to try that too. Because yeah, you can just listen to them all day long and follow more and more like threads and rabbit holes. And yeah, it's amazing. And all of a sudden you're like doing everything wrong, right? (laughs) It's like you can be talked into that you're doing everything right or doing everything wrong, whichever way you want to go at this point. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) But one thing I love about you is you're kind of like biohacking that we you put into the keto space. So you are trying to learn more about you and your body and just, I think, women's health in general, of course, too, and keto and fasting and carnivore and like all this stuff. And you're kind of using yourself as your own experiment. Is that right? Yeah. I love being my own guinea pig and doing experiments. And I mean, granted, everyone's different, but at least if something that I do, because I love testing so much and data, because I'm able to like do these little experiments and stuff and share data, someone else can try that and see if it might give them good or bad results. And just sharing that information. And I think it inspires people to try stuff and just like think outside the box and question different things. And it keeps me humble and always questioning things too, because it's really easy to just like get into this space where you're like, you've got these rules, especially with, you know, keto's got a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. You got these rules. And then if you do experiments, sometimes you challenge them. And one of the big ones for me lately, you know, has really been protein. And there's just been so much debate about protein. And I know I read like everyone else about gluconeogenesis and, you know, moderating protein and all this stuff. And I decided to try carnivore. I really didn't want to at first. I think of it more as zero carb. Mm-hmm. To me, that makes more sense. Like my keto is very, very, very low carb. So zero carb to me is, it wasn't a really big jump. You know, it was just like taking out the last like veggies and stuff because I don't eat a lot of other carbs. Mm -hmm. 
but I was afraid to try it and I didn't believe in it. I thought it was like weird and unhealthy, especially because of high levels of protein. And I did three subsequent experiments. And each time what I found is that I can go quite a bit higher in protein, even double than what I was doing before and totally stay in ketosis. And I've been feeling better than ever with higher levels of protein. I do notice that there is still a level that for myself, I don't need to go over because I'm not a bodybuilder. Yes. (laughs) I'm not crushing weights at the gym every day. I do like to be active, but it's just been really cool to see that I can increase my protein and there's a range. I can eat kind of on the upper end of my protein range and I don't really have to worry or fear getting kicked out of ketosis. So I may have lower ketones and a little bit higher blood sugar, but I just did all my blood work and I did my hemoglobin A1C and it was 76 or 4%. You know, so mm-hmm. even though my blood sugar is sometimes a little bit higher in the morning, it really hasn't affected the overall low level of it. And my fasting insulin was 2.1, which was amazing to see. Mm-hmm. So it's been really, really cool. And I feel amazing with more protein, like incredible. I get that feedback all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, it's kind of weird. It's almost like we've gone from fearing carbs in keto to fearing protein. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like now everything is bad butt fat, right? So yeah, I was thinking about that this morning actually too. That's funny. Yeah. I think, I mean, I get that question all the time and people are just super confused with how much protein intake they should be having. And of course it's different for everybody. Right. But like, I think you kind of doing that experiment for yourself and finding that out about you. I have a feeling that a lot of people, women in particular, are going to find that out about themselves too. So first of all, we want to hear more about what that actually looked like. So tell us about your actual like carnivore zero carb experiment. Because when I was on your podcast, you were in the middle of it and we talked about it a little bit. And I was just like blown away because I don't think I could ever do it. But I'm very curious. Yeah. So I did three kind of trials of it. I did a first one for seven days and I really didn't like it. (laughs) I did another one right after we got back from KetoCon. I was like, okay, I got to do this for 30 days to really see like, what is it that all these people talk about this like Mm -hmm. amazing effect, this qualitative difference from keto that could be so much better than keto. You know, I want to experience it for myself and see what it is. And maybe I won't experience it. Maybe I will. And I did it the second time. I think that was when I talked to you. I was about halfway through and I was like, this is stupid. I feel ridiculous going to a restaurant, ordering a burger and not being able to eat the lettuce. It just seemed like just bizarre. And I was like, I've gone too far. (laughs) This is just weird. Like I've got weird. It got weird. And I was having a lot of those kinds of thoughts about it. I was like thinking about, I can't wait to have dark chocolate again. I can't wait to like have all these things. And then something weird happened. Well, not weird, but something really cool where, so I was basically was just eating intuitively. So that's a carnivore thing. You eat anything from the animal kingdom. Our friends were here on the weekend and I was explaining to them what it was. And and they said, so you can have eggs and dairy. And I said, yeah, anything from the animal kingdom. So he said, so basically animals and anything released from animals. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. That makes it very easy to understand. I was like, yeah, okay. That works. (laughs) (laughs) So anything from the animal kingdom, so that includes dairy and eggs and, and all of that. I had my first experience of just eating intuitively. And there's something that happens with just eating meat where I notice, and a lot of other people know, so you get really full and satiated quickly, mm-hmm. but without the stomach stretch, it's more just a, like, you look at meat and it becomes unappetizing. And I really feel that that's the sincere connection with your body, that your body goes, nope, I'm good. And I've got all my nutrients met. I don't want any more. Totally agree. And then yeah. if you think about something like a carb type of food. So for me, like my snack in the evening was always like hundred percent dark chocolate or cocoa butter or coconut. If I thought about that, like, oh, I can make room for that. So that showed me there's a difference really between hunger and appetite. And there's always appetite. Appetite can always be there because there's something else going on, especially for me. I learned I'm really carb sensitive, but I got to experience this eating intuitively where it's like no more calculating anything. Not that I really did that that much anymore, but I still like would do sometimes just planning and stuff. 
using at MyFitnessPal. This was just eat when you're hungry and eat to your full and then stop. And it was just meat. I found that when I had more beef, like the first time that I was doing it, I did more salmon and chicken and pork. But when I eat more beef, like I got full really, really fast on smaller amounts and like lots of ribeye steak. And it was an incredible experience to just feel this intuitive connection. So I ended up eating about twice a day, two meals a day. And I would eat usually like somewhere between a pound and two pounds of meat and a lot of beef some like chicken and pork and fish still, but just more heavy on the like steaks and and burgers. And I just had this incredible experience of intuitive eating Mm -hmm. where I really, really connected with my hunger. And I decided after that, that it was so hard for me to go off of eating dark chocolate and coconut butter that I decided I don't want to bring that back in because I'm really enjoying, like once I got to the other side of it, I suddenly stopped thinking about it and stopped having this dependency on it. And Mm -hmm. I really liked that. So, so did it seem like then it kind of made you realize then that that constant, like basically your habit of the chocolate and the coconut butter, you weren't eating intuitively with that because it was kind of your habit, your go-to, even when you weren't hungry, you were still going to have that. So it kind of made you realize that. Yeah, it made me realize how much that was a comfort food for me. And it's something at the end of the day, you know, the end of the day is when you're tired, you've expended all your energy. We'd always, my husband and I always like sit on the couch and watch a program together. And then I would always want to have dark chocolate. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that sometimes I was having it just to feel better, like feel better about my day, feel better about myself, feel better just like I've made me instantly happy. Like whenever I have it, like it's awesome. But I also realized that I really get bored watching programs on TV. Mm. Like there's a couple shows that we love. And if I do something instead, like reading is a flow activity for me. If I sit on the couch at night and I read a book instead, I don't have any desire to have dark chocolate or anything. Like I don't even want anything to drink. Like I just want to read because I'm in this such an enjoyable flow activity. It's only when I'm bored that I want to entertain myself, entertain my mouth with like something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point because I think a lot of us get into that space where we think we're being entertained by the TV, but we're actually not. And so then we need something else also. And it's usually food. So there's a lot of eating in front of the TV. I think that happens that's completely mindless, completely habitual, and not actually intuitive at all. So I I think that's so fascinating that that's kind of, I guess, one of your biggest takeaways from doing this 30 days of carnivore is you really got into this place of intuitiveness and learning what it means to be satisfied and then not need anything beyond that. Yeah, it's the most food freedom I've ever experienced is, and I got into a lot of this because I was watching a lot of Ted Naiman and I was like, you know, what is this habit that I have? Is it coming from a craving? And he has this theory, Dr. Ted Naiman, about how cravings in the evening time, they come from inadequate protein during the day. Mm. And he's got some fascinating talks about this and protein dilution and how it's happened gradually has like crept up. So what I found is that with trying the zero carb I was eating so much protein during the day to total fullness that I was so satiated and it really, really made a big difference in terms of not having any kinds of cravings and things. And yeah, he he says a lot of times that's what it is. And I, I've definitely experienced that for myself too. So I think that is one of the reasons that people really get so excited and gung-ho and, and you know, doing zero carb is because their nutrient needs are so well met from eating lots of protein that they don't have as many like food addictions or things like I had and just feel a lot of satiety. So it's been really cool to try it out for myself. And I was a big doubter of it. And I know when he was talking about protein leverage satiety and, and all this, and I was like, there's no way you can be satisfied just from high levels of protein. You need lots of fat. And I really have found he's right. Like for me personally, it's made a huge difference and just loving it. Before we move on with this episode, I just want to remind you all about Rasa Coffee. You guys all know how much I love Rasa Coffee by now, but I've just tried something and I have to share it with you all. 
If you've not tried the coffee alternative, Rasa Coffee Iced, you absolutely have to. So you brew it. I brew it in the morning as normal, and then I put it in the refrigerator and wait until later in the day, like three o'clock, four o'clock-ish as my afternoon snack. It's become an iced Rasa coffee with some full-fat, creamy coconut milk and a dash of cinnamon. It is so good. You all have to try it. And the best part is, is that I feel really good drinking it because I know that it's doing great things for my adrenals, for my detoxification pathways, and for just having a little bit of a natural energy boost to get me through the rest of the day. There's no caffeine, there's no sugar, there's no gluten, there's no dairy, there's nothing else in it, but these amazing adaptogenic herbs that are so great for our adrenals and the rest of our body. They've also created this perfect recipe of these herbs that makes it taste amazing. It's not really a flavor I can describe because it doesn't taste like coffee, but it really does make an amazing coffee alternative, so a really good substitute. So whether you're looking to break your caffeine habit, which I think you all know I highly recommend for a lot of women that they do, especially if they are having issues with their adrenal health. This is a really great option, even if you use it to start weaning yourself off caffeine or you mix it with some decaf. That's a really great option too. It's also really good in like a bulletproof style. So you can do that with your morning beverage. So no matter what, you have a purpose for Rasa Coffee in your life and you are going to love it. And because they are sponsors of the Keto for Women show, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping when you use the coupon code KETOWOMEN10. So you will head to rasacoffee.com slash keto for women and use the coupon code KETOWOMEN10 to get 10% off your order. We will have all that information linked in the show notes so you can head there right now. Use that link to grab your 10% off and get yourself some amazing coffee alternative. You will love it. Okay, so you mentioned getting your nutrient needs met. So I think a lot of people and, you know, some of the naysayers about going zero carb or carnivore is that you're not getting these micronutrients from, you know, leafy greens and other vegetables that we have in our daily plans, most of us. So I guess, how do you feel about that? And was that anything that you experienced? Yeah. So I've learned so much because I did so much research before trying this out and also while trying it out. There's a couple different theories about micronutrients, like in anti-nutrients and plants. There's a lot of information coming out about that now and how there's anti-nutrients in the plants that can bind to some of those micronutrients and prevent absorption. And I don't know how I feel about that. I think for most people, eating vegetables is great. And I'm not going to be eliminating them out of my diet. For me, I've decided that I just would rather like, quote unquote, spend my carbs on vegetables as opposed to more like dark chocolate or coconut kind of things. So I don't think that there's any valid reason or real reason for anyone to exclude plant foods, especially the lower starch ones. And, you know, if that's something that you love, it's a part of your lifestyle, like there's absolutely no reason not to have them. I think that people who have decided to go without them, they've noticed a qualitative difference for themselves without them long-term that they don't really want them. And that's a personal decision for them. But I think for most people, vegetables have tons of great nutrients in them. So unless you're really sensitive to some of those anti-nutrients, you know, there's so much information now coming out about lectins and phytates and solicitates and oxalates and all these things and vegetables. And I think it's important for some people to question those things and look at them and say, you know, one of the things I discovered is I ate a lot of cruciferous vegetables and they cause a lot of bloating for me. So I've been kind of using carnivore as an elimination diet and switching to trying different vegetables that don't cause that bloat for me and, and that kind of indigestion. So I think there's no reason to exclude vegetables unless it's something for you. Some people are extremely sensitive to them. I really don't know what I think about the theory of the anti-nutrients binding all of the micronutrients in there. I think there's just no reason to give them up totally unless you have some chronic persistent health condition 
that's not going away and there's just nothing else that can help you and you want to try it. But for most people, I don't, I don't see why. Yeah. I mean, it's just, if anything, just for like variety <laughs> and yeah, right. And, I mean, yes, you're getting all your micronutrients from those veggies and stuff too, but just for, because, you know, food tastes good <laughs> and veggies are delicious. I do want to say one thing and that there is a chart you can look up. It's on, have you heard of Dr. Georgia Ede? No, I haven't. So she's done a lot of work about this. She's a doctor and she has a really cool website because she has some information about, you know, a lot of people fear eating meat and not just, I'm not talking about carnivore, but just eating more protein or eating more red meat, especially. And she has a website called Diagnosis Diet and she talks about some of the studies that have been done on red meat and she kind of debunks some of the so-called causative correlations between eating lots of red meat and cancer and early mortality and even nitrates and all these things. But she also has a really cool chart. And I remember when I, I took nutrition in university, one of the first things our professors said to us is the bioavailability of nutrients is the highest in meat. Like it totally eclipses vegetables. And I was a vegetarian at the time and I was like, <laughs> oh no, like that's no good. Can't be true. Yeah, but she she has this chart on her website and you can see that most vitamins they are best in terms of bioavailability in animal foods. Mm-hmm. There's only one where plants are better sources and that's vitamin C. And vitamin E is very low in animal foods except for liver. So if you're eating a lot of meat or sort of less vegetables, it's great to have organ meats and you know liver. And, that, and that's one of the reasons that people talk about it is because of the vitamin E. But everything else, iron, calcium, iodine, zinc, ALA, EPA, DHA, vitamin A, vitamin B1, all the you know, B12. B12 isn't even found in plant foods. Mm-hmm. Vitamin D is not found in plant foods. So there's so much nutrition and micronutrients in meat itself. And I think that's why so many people have been thriving on it, even though they're excluding plant foods. Yeah. And that's something that I've heard as well. I haven't done nearly the research that you have on it. And I think all of my listeners should know that I have no stance for or against carnivore at this point. So I'll just know that. Yeah. But just in thinking about it, just in what I know, and especially this you know, my listeners, of course, know this too, like the quality of the meat is so, so important. But if you're getting like Mm -hmm. grass-fed, grass-finished beef, and you're getting wild-caught salmon, and using grass-fed, pasture-raised dairy, and these kinds of things, if you're really making sure that the quality of the food, and especially if you're going carnivore, and that's all you're eating, (laughs) should be of the utmost importance. And if you're going there, and you add in your again, good, high quality organ meats, like you're really going to be meeting most, if not all of the micronutrient things that you would want to get. So I do totally see that because again, we always assume that veggies and you know, even fruits or whatever, have all of the micronutrients we need. And they do, they have a ton, but like you mentioned, they're not all available to us. Yeah. We don't absorb all as humans. So you know, whereas eating meat, we absorb and retain a lot more than it had. They're more readily available, more readily usable to us as humans. So I can definitely see that being like a huge pro to eating carnivore or just eating more meat in general, just having a higher protein amount than a lot. I would say vast majority of those ketonians are doing right now. I agree. And really bumping down their protein ratio when it doesn't need to be that low. Yeah. Bumping it down and replacing it with a lot of fat and a lot of boosted coffees and things, which I think are great. My favorite like boosted coffee kind of thing right now is just adding collagen to my coffee, but there's no reason to really dial down protein that much. And I would encourage people to test higher levels and see how they feel. And honestly, I think the best thing that has come out of this zero carb carnivore trend has been getting people to question more their protein levels and maybe eat more protein and play around with it. And I think that that's the same thing for anything. You know, it's the same with fasting. I think the best thing that's come out of the fasting trend is people realizing that they don't have to eat every hour or every two hours. And, and there's extremes to both sides. You know, if you can't, 
eat all the time, that's not good. But if you fast all the time, that's not good either. And I think it's just kind of the same thing with zero carb. You don't want to eat too much meat, but eating too little protein is is not going to be helpful for your body either. I think protein of all the macronutrients is the most important in terms of essential amino acids. So I think that's the coolest thing that's, you know, come out of this. Oh, for sure. I think it's great too, because it's giving people more information about their bodies. And so you did mention that it would potentially be, and this is kind of how you're using it, potentially as a elimination diet and something to where you can start now adding things back in and figuring out more in detail what foods are working for you and not working for you. And you started with this baseline of just eating meat and knowing that the meat was fine. So then now you can add in more things. And I think that that is a really good idea. I think that'd be really good for a lot of people to do. So if that were the case, if someone wanted to try that, how long do you think that they would need to be like strictly zero carb carnivore before adding foods back in? Because you said after a week, you didn't really like it. You didn't really necessarily feel that stuff, feel the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm really not that knowledgeable in elimination protocols. I just know that for myself, probably seven days, I was doing 30 days because I wanted to fully immerse myself in this in order to experience it. And But I don't know if you necessarily need that. Although I have seen a lot of elimination protocols, they are 30 days. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what those ones are like. I just know that the only food that no one seems to be allergic to or have any intolerance to is meat. It's the only one. So just to go down to just proteins, you know, fish, chicken, you know, steak or beef or burgers or whatever, just for even two weeks, probably be a great benefit if you want to try an elimination protocol. And then I learned this from Christina Kerp, Castaway Kitchen. She was saying, you know, the best way to do it is then you introduce a food back in one one per week. So you would add in, say you're testing nightshades and you know, you're testing peppers or tomato, you would have a few slices of it and then wait a few days and then have a bunch more of it and wait a few days. And then you can journal and see how you feel, how your body reacts, all these things, and try each one one at a time. It's very, very useful. I think most people never do any kind of elimination protocol, or maybe they'll do a detox for one to three days or seven days. It's very valuable information, I think, especially if you have any lingering inflammation, if you have digestive issues. There's so much information now coming out about fiber, which is amazing too, because that's another kind of just like vegetables and fruit. It's one of those things that has this health halo that no one wants to dare question. And there's all this information now coming about fiber that in some cases it could be making digestive problems worse for people. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I I didn't realize that for the longest time. And most people are, who have digestive problems are told to just eat more fiber. There's definitely a fiber sweet spot for everybody. You can go either way. We can have too much or too little and then it's problems either way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Yeah. But I think it's just a cool thing if you want to use it as an elimination diet to try it out and then especially if you have any kind of lingering health, like food allergies or intolerances that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. I think like a week or two would be, you know, maybe like a 10 day or something like that would be enough to where someone would be able to calm down whatever is potentially going on in their system. Yes. And, you know, get used to that and hopefully feel some of that intuitive eating uh, satiety thing that you were talking Mm -hmm. about that I think is so important and would be so great for a lot of women to take out of that maybe that's enough time to start experiencing that too. So so that would be good. Now, one last question. A lot of, well, I guess the best thing that I've heard come out of going zero carb carnivore for a lot of people is this reduction in bloating. And I think that bloating mm-hmm. is plaguing almost every female out there. <laughs> yeah. So was that something that you experienced? Yeah. I mean, I've never had a flatter stomach. And, and to be honest, it's been nice to just not deal with that bloating because Mm -hmm. there are times that like I would just have a regular dinner and then after dinner, I'd be like, I feel four months pregnant, you know, and I've never been pregnant. So I don't know what that's like. And I'm not sure if, you know, that's an accurate feeling or not, but I just felt really uncomfortable and I haven't had any of that. And I I think that's when I was saying, I was always trying to eat all the cruciferous vegetables. Mm -hmm. 
And then I realized that those are the ones that bloat me the most. And that may mean that I need, you know, more support in terms of supporting my healthy gut microbiome, the the healthy bacteria. I'm not sure what it is, but for me, like the broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kale are some of my favorite vegetables. And I noticed that those ones really, really bloat me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure why, but it's been nice <laughs> to just take a break from it. And I really miss, especially cabbage and kale. I love those vegetables, but it's nice to just not feel so uncomfortable after eating them. And I don't know why I'm I'm sensitive to them like that, but I'm hopeful that maybe I won't be at some point if I just keep, you know, supplementing well with with probiotics and all that. But you know, maybe my gut lining still needs to repair. But it, it definitely is nice to just eat a meal, be really full, but not be totally distended in your abdomen. Yes. Yes. I think we all know what that feels like. So <laughs> that is very motivating for sure. But really, I just love this whole thing because of course, what I preach here is you being an advocate for your own journey. So mm. you found out all of these things from this experiment that you did. And yeah. so this may not apply to me or to this other gal that's listening, but the whole story is like, you found out what works for you. And now we can encourage other women to find out what works for them. And it may be more protein. It may be that they also can't digest broccoli. You know, (laughs) There's a lot. I just love it. I love it so much. And I think that I really do think carnivore would be a good place to start for a short term for some people to figure some of this stuff out for them if they're still having issues with keto or with digestion or even energy or, or, you know, having sugar cravings or whatever the case may be, that may be a place for them to go to Mm. learn more about themselves. So I want to transition now because you do also have some information that you learned about fasting from your own experimentation and just kind of, I think, working with women too and seeing how they do. So how did you first start learning about fasting or getting into it yourself and what have you learned? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I love the most about keto is it's really a fasting mimicking diet in that we can get so many of the benefits that come from doing prolonged fasting. And, you know, most of those benefits come from autophagy and mitophagy and this, you know, cellular repair that happens when we are in that state when, you know, we go between a fed state and a fasted state and that fasted state, it's a repair time. And a fed state is more of a anabolic growth time. And I just love that with keto, because you get really satiated. I know when I was on high carb diet, that's when I started fasting. I had first come across Ori Hoffelmaker. I don't know if you've ever read his book. He has this book called The Warrior Diet. And that was the first thing that you know started my whole kind of journey into this stuff. And, and he would do intermittent fasting in one meal a day at the end of the day. But there wasn't any distinction made for like eating any kinds of like different macronutrient amounts or anything. So still doing high carb for a long time. And once I went into keto, I found that because I'm so satisfied from having my main essential fatty acid and amino acid needs met, that it's very easy to fast between meals. So there's a lot of benefits that can happen just from doing time-restricted eating. And there's all this fantastic research that has come out of the Salk Institute with Dr. Sachin Panda, where he's done these studies where people just close their eating window earlier in the day and they get amazing benefits. And it's really just eating really well at your meals, whether that's three meals a day, two meals a day, you know, four meals a day, whatever it is for you, eating really well at those meals and then fasting between the meals so that you're not just fasting when you're sleeping, you're fasting during the day and your body can switch back and forth between, you know, those anabolic and catabolic phases where you're also going into your stored fat. And I mentioned earlier, my fasted insulin is 2.1. That's all just come from doing time-restricted eating and fasting between meals. And you can get so many benefits and reduce your fasting insulin just by making sure that you're not eating between your meals because you're eating so well at your meals that you're really well nourished. 
Oh, I love that so much because it kind of takes this, I think there's of course this halo of fasting where it's like, oh, I just don't eat. And I guess if we change the verbiage almost, it makes a huge difference and it makes it seem way more doable and healthier, honestly, in my opinion, because we're not saying don't eat. Yeah. <laughs> no one said don't eat. All we're saying is make those meals count. So when you're eating, yes. make them count, make them full of nutrients, full of food so that you're getting your needs met and then you'll be fine, right? So then you probably won't even be hungry or necessarily want to eat, but you won't need to have snacks around and you can go longer periods of time in between meals and you're still getting those benefits that come from fasting, but it's not like you have to, you can't eat for three days to get that, right? Yeah. And I really think that the grazing and like what I call nursing, like drinking beverages and snacking throughout the day, it really comes because there is a lack of, you know, those essential fatty acids and amino acids being met at mealtimes. And so the body is just constantly craving all throughout the day food. And, you know, we're eating these low calorie foods in order to keep calories low. And yet they're just made mostly of carbohydrates. They're mostly made of sugar and some fat. And there's really not a lot of amino acids. There's really not a lot of protein. And I think that that just causes this kind of grazing behavior and nursing behavior. I used to do it. You know, I always had carrot sticks or juice or a latte or something going on. And, you know, it's just a a subtle shift to be incorporating more of that protein, more of those healthy fats at your meals so that it's not even a challenge. It's not even like, oh, I can't eat for the next four hours. It's just, I'm good for the next four hours. It's a total different, you know, shift. Just as proof to what you just said, I see this all the time in the women that I work with. They'll have, what did you call it? Instead of a fatty coffee, you called it something like a level up latte. <laughs> no, there was something else that you. Oh, boosted. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. They will have these boosted drinks in the morning and instead of no other food. And then come like, 3 p.m. until they go to bed, they're snacking, 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 snacking the entire thing mm. because they weren't satisfied in the morning. They didn't get their needs met first thing in the morning. And it's not a bad thing to eat breakfast if you need to eat breakfast, especially if it means that then you can do this time-restricted eating throughout the day and that you eat at 8 a.m. And then maybe you don't have lunch until 2 p.m. But in between that time, you're fasting and your body's working in these different capacities. So it just makes such a big difference to, and I think that that is such a great thing for you that you said that needs to be repeated is like those meals meet your requirements and that's why you don't need or want to snack in between. So yeah. if you feel like you have to snack at any point in the day, really all that means is that you probably didn't eat enough food at one of those meals. Exactly such a big difference. And that really makes it so doable and a really healthy approach to fasting or just, then we don't even have to call it fasting. Like you don't even call it fasting. That's why I like time restricted eating. You know, it's more just eating, but restricted within time. And I like to say, you don't have to eat less food. I eat more food than I used to. I'm in better shape than I ever was. And I have better body composition than I ever have. I'm eating more, but I'm eating the right foods and I'm just eating less often. And that doesn't mean less food. And I like to have in my coffee collagen, it's protein. And I think that the body really, I put a little bit of coconut oil in there, sometimes like a teaspoon for flavor and, and you get your fatty acids there, but you really get your essential amino acids. And that means you will be more nourished and it's not going to be like forcing, like fasting shouldn't be this forced thing. It should just be something that naturally occurs. And, and, uh, I really believe that that's easy to do when you're well-fed. Oh, I love it so <laughs> much. I love all your just little bits of information that you have from basically doing your own research on yourself and then applying that and seeing if it helps for others too. Yeah, it's been awesome. I've just been geeking out so much on all this stuff and. Next month, I'm going to be studying biochemistry and going back and doing a science degree because I just love all this stuff. And I've discovered my love and passion for it through doing these like mm. biohacking experiments and stuff. And I just think it's so cool for people to just try different things and question different things. 
and just try out and find what works for them. And it's fun. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's fun to try different things. Try something for a week. Try this for a week. Try that for a week. See how you feel. You know, make notes and journal. I don't know. Maybe not everyone is as geeky as I am about this stuff, but well, we're we're gonna make them be. With the <laughs> talk about this, we're just gonna do that because it is fun and it's empowering yeah. and it actually gives you information about your own body instead of listening to somebody else. Have you done any kind of like little? I'm sure you try all kinds of different stuff. I used to try a ton. I've done all kinds of elimination diets. I mean, even going keto was kind of my own thing. But since I've switched to keto, I haven't really done a whole lot because I just feel good already. You know, like I I don't really feel like that need to tweak. I did do several different fasting protocols and learned a lot about myself with that. But now I just kind of eat when I want to. And I guess right now I'm kind of experimenting with a little bit higher carb. I know we talked about this because my workouts have changed so much and I am kind of in this like weird, like building pattern. So my protein is definitely a lot higher. I actually just was thinking this as we were talking that I just had a 100% carnivore breakfast because I had (laughs) eggs, pork, and I put collagen in my coffee. Yeah. That's what I say to so many people. Like (laughs) carnivore sounds so crazy. And yet so many of us have carnivore breakfasts, like zero carb carnivore breakfast all the time. And I did that because I just got done working out. So I know I needed right. to get my protein in. So yeah, it, it's working out really well and I'm enjoying it. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Let's tell everyone where they can find you. You have to go listen to Fast Keto. Tell everyone about that. Thank you. Yeah, my podcast is Fast Keto. And if you like geeking out on stuff, that's all I do. I love bringing on a lot of scientists onto the show and also keto experts like Sean and and others. And uh, it's super fun. And that's called Fast Keto on iTunes. And my most active social feeds are probably Instagram, which is at Ketogenic Girl. And on Facebook, it is The Ketogenic Girl. And that's where I'm posting my daily meals, my biohacking experiments, and a lot of stuff about the 20-day challenge and recipes and, and stuff. And you have a cookbook. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) I forgot. And I wrote a cookbook called Keto Essentials. It's on Amazon and it's got over 150 recipes, some of my favorite keto foods. And uh, it's got meal plans in there too. And and lots of of info on how to do keto. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. You'll be able to easily go find that. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I always love chatting with you. You're just the best. Thank you. Me too. I can't wait to do it in person soon. (laughs) I know. We'll meet in person very soon. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Sean.